You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Acts chapter 15 is where we will begin reading, and also we are going to be in Romans chapter 14. So once you find your place in Acts 15, go ahead and hold a place in Romans 14, and you will know that the sermon, the message, is coming down to a close when we get to Romans 14. So if I never get to Romans 14, watch out. But Acts chapter 15 is where we will begin. Follow along with me. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. True or false? False. False. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. This was no small matter. This was a big thing that needed to be addressed with all of these Gentiles that were starting to join the church. Uh, It was inevitable. Verse 7, and there had been, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Amen to that. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, that's his Jewish name. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. He's going to quote Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. After this, I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord. See, up until this point, the only people who could say were called after God's name were the Jews. But now he's pointing out that in prophecy, 
Amos was also telling of a time where the Gentiles would be called by God's name. Uh, let's see here. So whom my name is called, verse 17, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barnabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, Notice this, to whom we gave no such commandment. Yes, they came from Judea. Yes, they had something to do with the church at Jerusalem, but we did not send them. We did not tell them to go and to teach you this doctrine. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. You see, for Paul and Barnabas to go up to the, or down to the church at Jerusalem, and then come back and face those same Judaizers, or those men from Judea, with no other people from Jerusalem, those men of Judea could have easily looked at them and say, well, you can be telling us that Jerusalem said whatever you want them to say. So Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, foreseeing that, said, well, let's send our own ambassadors along with them to give witness to what Paul and Barnabas are saying. <clears throat> For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, verse 28, and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they, re they rejoiced for the consolation, the comfort that the letter brought. And Judas and Silence, uh, Silas, being Prophets also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I'm going to preach tonight on the subject, problem solving. Father, we need your help. And especially, Lord, I need your power. I cannot do this without you. I, I don't want to preach without your power. I don't want to preach without boldness. If I preach in my own power, Lord, this message will do nothing. It might educate in some ways. It might bring out and, and explain some things. But, Lord, it will never illuminate it to a soul. I, I need your help to do that. And I ask that you would 
Please use me tonight. These people came here not to hear from me, but to hear from you. Father, I ask that you would please speak to hearts. For those who are not here, I ask that you would please bring them in. Lord, that they would yearn to be among your people again. For those who would be here but couldn't be there here, I ask that you would please comfort them. Uh, that you see their hearts, you see their desire. And Lord, for those who could be here but aren't here, I ask that you would convict them and show them their need to be faithful and to be uh, attentive to your word. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Although every church is different, one thing that they all will have in common is problems. We will all run into problems because we are imperfect people. Uh, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll wreck it. So we run into problems. It's just kind of a part of it. Now, we have talked about this before in Acts chapter 6. There are such a thing as good problems. Remember where they were growing so quickly, some people were just being neglected. Some of the Grecian widows were being neglected. I don't think it was on any, uh, on, out of any uh, animosity from the church. It just happened. Uh, a good problem, the church is growing to the point where the disciples and the apostles didn't have enough time. Uh, but good problems are still problems. Well, in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see a bad problem. Uh, but problems are a part of it. Now, when those problems are arise, it is God's desire for us to look to him and to work through them, to get through them, and to glorify them, glorify him through it all. Now, it's Satan's desire for those problems to damage the church and destroy the church. I can tell you stories of churches that God has brought through incredible, unbelievable problems. And they even grew stronger because of it. You've heard of Bobby Robertson. Bobby Robertson at Gospel Light Baptist Church. When he was 29 years old, he had a heart attack. The church was doing very well, growing. He had a heart attack. He was in the hospital for weeks. And when he got out of the hospital, and actually in the hospital, he heard that there was trouble in the church. Some of the, uh, some of the elders of the church, including some deacons, were trying to usurp his authority while he was in the hospital recovering from a heart attack. And when he came back, he lost hundreds of people to those men. And he wanted to quit. In fact, it was Harold Seitler that told him to stick with it. And I'm glad that he did because that church got through it came through the problems, grew to 3,000, 4,000 strong, and saw its greatest days after that. I can tell you of a church right now, I would not name the church because of the closeness that it has uh, to uh, some of us here uh, in the church, not in location, but just in family. And I think that you would know uh, who it was if I told you. Uh, but it was a, it's a church that not too long ago had a pastor where it was revealed that he was having relationships with multiple women in the church. And it was brought forward, and he was kicked out of the church. Unbeknownst to the church, he had used the church's credit to purchase property for himself. And when he was removed from the church, he stopped paying on that property. And the church, about four years later down the road, has a lawyer show up and knock on the door and serve papers and say, we're suing you for $70,000 for this property that has not been paid on. Nobody in the church knew about it. 
that church today is, is seeing some of its strongest growth than it has ever seen before. God can do that. The devil is going to bring problems, but our God is so great, he can even use Satan's problems to bring about Jesus' purpose. Unfortunately, I could also tell you about churches that have allowed problems to send them into chaos. I've heard of a preacher, I've heard of a preacher tell a story of a church that almost split because they couldn't agree what side the piano and organ should go on in the auditorium. Every church is going to face problems. We live in a wicked world with stubborn people and a very real enemy that is going to launch attacks against us. But on top of all of that, even if the devil left us alone, let's be honest, we have a propensity to problems and not peace. And if a church is ever going to make it through those problems, it's not going to be because of us. It's going to be because of God. Now, I am glad. I always, whenever I come up to a passage in, in, in the Bible, I always want to see how can I fit this into the church now? How is our church facing this now? And I am glad that I don't have to preach a message about bad problems and say, we need this now. But we also need to understand that problems can arise like that. Nobody is immune from problems. Sin always complicates things, and we are all sinners. So what I want is I want to preach this message so that we can always remember, so that we can learn from what this church did when they faced a problem. I never want us forget, to forget how much we need God, how much we need to rely on him. The Bible says without him, what are we just saying? We can do nothing. We need him more today than we did yesterday. We're going to need him more tomorrow than we do today. Without him, we would surely fail, didn't we just sing that? And the, the issue with that is it doesn't just affect us. Eternal souls hang in the balance if we fail to address problems in the right way. So what I wish to focus on tonight is how this early church dealt with their problem. I believe that you and I are here today because this church dealt with the problem in the right way. The problem was a problem of false doctrine. We saw it in verse 1. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Mosaic law in order to be saved. Wrong. Very wrong. So what we have here in its simplest form are two sides. One side believed that you were saved by grace and grace alone. One side believed that you were saved by works. Now, at the end, we see that this problem is resolved. So my message is one big answer to this question. How did they get from problem to solution? How did they go from a situation that could have brought a lot of damage and even destroyed the church to a position where they were actually growing and still going forward with the gospel? How did that happen? We have controversy in verse 1 and 2, and in verse 31, you have consolation. How, what is the process? So number one, I want to bring out this solution 
This problem solving came from convictions, not compromise. Convictions, not compromise. Paul and Barnabas knew that their gospel was the right one. They knew that the gospel of grace was the right one. Paul, they, they knew it was the right one because Paul says later in Galatians chapter 1, writing about this exact situation, he says, the gospel that I received was not from man, but it was from the revelation of Jesus Christ. They also knew that their gospel was correct. Open your eyes, Judaizers. There's a church filled with Gentile believers that are obviously saved because God had given them the Holy Ghost just like he gave to the Jews at the beginning, and it had nothing to do with the Mosaic Law. None of them had been circumcised. None of them were following the Sabbath. They were fully Gentile people that God had saved. However, this wasn't enough. This was not enough for these Judaizers. They could not convince them that following and keeping the Mosaic law was not needed for salvation. And verse 2 says that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Things got a little heated between them. Now, Paul himself is soon going to write a letter to the Romans, and the Holy Spirit is going to tell him in that letter to write these words, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So God isn't wishing for Christians to be obnoxious and to go out looking for people to fight with over doctrinal issues. However, when standing by our biblical convictions brings controversy, it is never the right thing to leave those convictions and compromise to bring peace. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth for how much? It doesn't tell us. Why? Because there is no price that we should not be willing to pay to buy the truth. Sell it not. Sell it not for how much? It doesn't tell us because there is no price that is worth selling the truth. Buy the truth, sell it not. It is a lie of the devil that it is okay to compromise convictions to bring peace. Hezekiah did that. And I'm not going to go into it. You can, read, you can read that story on your own. When false doctrine is presented to the church, we fight. We fight as long as it takes. We fight as long as God gives us breath. We stand for what we know is right. Churches all across the world today are compromising their convictions on wine and strong drink, on godly music, on separation and standards, on the sin of homosexuality. They're compromising their standards, and they are soon, they will soon have the word Ichabod written over their doors because they failed to realize that selling the truth to pay for peace is a deal with the devil. And what they believe is going to bring peace to their church is going to bring nothing but sat satanic chaos to it. If it be possible, we live peaceably. But peace is never worth the cost of compromise. Stand for the truth. 
Never sell it for anything. And that's why Paul and Barnabas and these men are in this dissension and in this disputation. Number two, a problem is solved by assessment, not argument. It is solved by assessment, not argument. I say assessment because when a problem arises in a church, one of the worst things that the church can do is ignore it. A problem is like mold. If you sweep it under the rug, it's just going to fester and grow until it is out of control. Look at number two, uh, verse, uh, verse two. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So I am all for being able to share our beliefs. I am all for explaining my convictions to people who have legitimate questions about those convictions. But as soon as we see that we're getting nowhere, and they just want to argue, Christian, we have better things to do. I know of Christians who would rather spend all day arguing with fools on Facebook that are, or on the internet that are not going to budge, rather than speaking and approaching a lost sinner about their soul who will actually listen. Assess the problem. We don't ignore it. But what is art? Okay, listen. Problems, especially in a church, especially, especially when it's dealing with false doctrine in the church, they need to be assessed. They need to be addressed. But if all that happens is, well, I think you're wrong. Well, I think you're wrong. Well, no, that's not what it is, and no, that is what it is. Well, I think this, and I think that, and back and forth, and back and forth. That doesn't do any good. And what I'm thinking in my mind is, even if a Christian does not accept false doctrine, if if Satan cannot get the Christian to accept false doctrine, he will settle with them arguing about it all day with people that will not budge. Because both Christians are not going to be very effective in reaching people for the lost. So when this problem of false doctrine arose, Paul and Barnabas, they assess the situation. They confront it with truth. They look at fixing and resolving the situation for the glory of God. But it soon becomes clear that they're getting nowhere. Every evidence that they, uh, that they bring forward to these Judaizers, they're shooting it down and saying they don't believe that. And the discussion devolves into, is devolve a word? Dissolve, devolve, one of those dill words, okay? So the discussion, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody help me. Is it devolved? Devolved, that's what I said at the beginning. Devolved into dissension and a disputation. And as soon as Paul and Barnabas see that, it's just going to be this endless argument. They basically say, okay, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. This has to end. Let's go to Jerusalem and we'll speak to the apostles and the elders about this because we are getting nowhere. Now, I don't know exactly how long this argument took, but knowing a good amount about Paul because of the epistles that he wrote, especially Galatians, he did not have a lot of patience with false doctrine. So I can imagine as soon as he saw 
that this discussion has turned into a disputation. No, no, no. I'm not spending one more moment dealing with this. It's, it's, we're not going to fix it this way. Let's fix it. Let's address it once and for all. So off they go to Jerusalem. And when they get there, the, they begin to tell the apostles and the elders all that God had done with them. I love how the Bible uses the same phrase, the same phrase that they had used in Acts chapter 15. They weren't saying, let us tell you all that man has done to us. No, they didn't say, let us tell you all that we have done for God. No, let's tell you all that God has done with them. And as they're doing that, at some point, no doubt, they start bringing up how they're having an issue with this these men from Judea. And they're saying that we have to be, the, the Greeks have to follow and keep the Mosaic law. They're saying that they have to be circumcised. And this leads to a group of the sect of the Pharisees who did believe, the Bible says they believed, and they actually stand up and say, you know what, those men from Judea are right. They do need to keep the, the law of Moses, and they do. It's a need. It, they, it is needful that they do those things in order to be saved. And before you know it, the Bible says there had been much disputing. So what had happened in Antioch is now happening in Jerusalem. So at this point, this is usually when people say, well, something's got to give. Well, we don't give when giving means giving up doctrine and what we know to be right, with that being said, arguing and disputing back and forth isn't going to solve the problem. Didn't solve it in Antioch, not going to solve it in Jerusalem. So what has to happen in order for this problem to be solved? Both sides have said their piece. So now Peter stands up and he says, hey, why don't we look at what God has to say about it? And he says in verse 7, and God has from, um, you know that how a good while ago, 10 years ago, he's referring to the story of Cornelius. You know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And look in verse 8, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost. That is concrete evidence of salvation. You do not get the Holy Ghost unless you are saved. And when you are saved, you get the Holy Ghost. Amen. Verse 9, and put no difference between us, purifying their hearts by faith, not by keeping the law. The, Ju the Judaizers are saying, you must become a Jew to become a Christian. And Peter is saying, no, Jesus has put no difference between Jew and and Gentile, there is no more Jew, there is no more Gentile, no male, no, no, no female, all are one in Christ. And we are all the same because of our faith, not because of anything to do with keeping the law. Verse 10, I love this. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? <laughs> he basically comes up to these Pharisees. If your argument is that we must keep the law in order to be saved. Well, then you're in big trouble, and you're saying all of our fathers are in hell because, let's be honest, neither they nor us 
have ever been able to keep the law. And then in verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Then Paul and Barnabas come up, and they begin telling on how Cornelius was just the beginning. That was just the opening, the, the beginning of the opening of the door into the Gentiles. God is working today, even 10 years later. Look at all that he's doing in the lives of Gentiles in, in Cilicia and in Pisidia and in, um, in Antioch, uh, uh, up in Pisidia and all these different places. Not, not to mention Antioch and Syria, where they just came from. Look at all that God is doing, still working in the lives of Gentiles that had nothing to do with the law. Nothing to do with keeping these things. God was working miracles, wonders among them. And then James, the pastor of the first Baptist church in Jerusalem, stands up and he says, men and brethren, hearken. Hearken unto me in verse 13. Look in verse 14 here. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. What is he saying? This isn't just Peter's opinion about the Gentiles. This isn't just Paul and Barnabas' opinion about the Gentiles. God himself prophesied that a day would come when Gentiles would be able to seek the Lord and be called by his name. So what's your point, James? Well, his point is in verse 18. God has been planning this for a long time. This wasn't something that just happened on a whim. This isn't something that, that should have taken us by surprise. God is obviously working in the Gentiles' lives. They're being saved without any works of the law. God told us a long time ago there would come a day where there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. So leave them alone. Trouble not them who from the Gentiles, from among the Gentiles, are turned to God. In other words, James stands up and says, Both sides have said your peace. But God has spoken in his word. And those whose beliefs don't match God's word are wrong. And you need to change. So what have we learned so far? Problems are solved by standing by your biblical convictions, not compromising for the sake of peace. Problems must be assessed, but we're not going to... Spend all of our time arguing about it. And then number three, problems are solved by acknowledging God's word, not man's opinion of God's word. The Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We find out what God's word says about the matter, and those who do not agree with what God's word says are wrong. You know a really easy way to solve a problem? Look at the answer key. And if your solution doesn't match the answer key, your solution is wrong. And that is what Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James are bringing out. Judaizers, Pharisees, your opinion of this matter your beliefs, even though you are sincere in those beliefs, you are sincerely wrong. 
Let's continue. Verse 20 and 21. Let's write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. It pleases the apostles and the elders. They come to a consensus. Now, the Bible doesn't say, it's not clear that these Pharisees say, okay, yes, this is what it is. Now, that is the, that I believe is the implication of the text, that the church came together and said, yes, that is what we need to do. Now, we're going to run into more issues with this later down the line. Romans addresses it. First and second Corinthians address it. Galatians addresses it. First Thessalonians address it. It's an issue in the church, and it's going to be for a while. But in this case, they agree, and look in verse 24, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Uh, look in verse 27. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. All of this was led by the Holy Ghost. And that is the thing. So notice how James brings out God's word. This is what God's word said. Even though their, their Bible was not complete yet, they still go to God's word. And then Paul and Barnabas and Peter are talking about God's work. And now James, in this letter from Jerusalem, is mentioning the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. But that is the thing. God's work and God's Spirit are always going to bear witness and support God's Word. So he brings that out. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Because remember, the Pharisee says it is needful that you do this and this. And the church comes back and says, no, God's word says that is not needful, but we'll tell you what is needful. Verse 29, and they go over those four things from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. So the decision was this. The people who say that you need to be circumcised to obey the law and to be saved uh, and obey the law to be saved are wrong. However, now that you are saved, there should come a change in your life. Abstain from meats offered to idols, abstain from blood, abstain from things strangled, which would still have blood left in its system, and abstain from fornication. Now, fornication is obviously wrong. However, the Gentiles had a big problem with this because of their culture. Read 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, read in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he has to tell them, you need to abstain from fornication. Or 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, the body is not for fornication. That's not what it's for. The Gentiles had an issue with this. But why were the other things, abstaining from meat offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, why were the other things considered necessary? Because Paul himself, give me four more minutes, Paul himself is going to say in 1 Corinthians 8, there was nothing morally wrong with eating meat offered to idols. And you can read that on your own. But what he goes on to say in chapter 8 through 10 is we have to be willing to move beyond the question of is it right or wrong and start asking the question, will it offend a brother? Romans 14. I told you. 
told you we'd be almost done with Romans 14. Look in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. And he's talking about meats here, okay? Uh, there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 here, verse 31. You recognize this verse. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Verse 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. Problems are solved through selflessness, not selfishness. So this church is basically saying, hey, Gentile believers, just because there's nothing morally wrong in itself about eating a strangled animal or meat offered to idols, you need to understand that the Mosaic law for a long time now has been read to your Jewish brethren every Sabbath day. Every day it has been hammered into them the need for this law. These laws are a, were a part of the Jews' lives. So the church comes and says, out of love for each other and to avoid causing a brother to stumble, we direct you to abstain from those things. Now, again, fornication, obviously. But those other things, abstain from those as well. You don't want to cause anybody to stumble. And I love the church's reaction to this. They say, fine. Yes, they rejoiced for the consolation. Absolutely, we can do that. The Jews agreed to accept the Gentile believers. The Gentiles agreed to abstain from what could offend the Jews. And after a time of teaching and confirming, the Bible says they were let go in peace. Judas and Silas are let go in peace. Problem solved. And the church went on. They go forward with the gospel. So what did we learn? Stand by our Bible convictions. Never compromise what we know to be true. Number two, we don't ignore the problem, but we're not going to spend all of our time arguing about it. Doesn't get anywhere. So what we need to do, instead of arguing, we're going to acknowledge what God's word says, and whoever on the side of the argument does not match God's word needs to change. And church, if we are ever presented with something that the Bible shows that we are doing wrong, I don't care if we've done it for 10 years, 15 years, 50 years, we need to change. I don't care if we've never known that it was wrong before. The Bible says as soon as you figure it out, you change. You change. And then number four, although we now have freedom and liberty in Christ, we do not use that liberty as an excuse to just forget about everybody else around us. 
1 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. When ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Salvation brings a change. And that change is not only abstaining from what is wrong, that change is also abstaining from what will offend a brother. If truth offends somebody, sorry. Sorry, we stand with God's word. You know, so I'm, I'm done. I, I, I hope, I, I wish we would never have to deal with problems in the church. But we will. We will. Problems will arise. Because the devil is very real. And we are not perfect people. When those problems come, let's remember. Let's remember what we've learned from Acts chapter 15. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.